Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com. From the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this is The Gateway. It's Thursday, January 16th. I'm Wayne Pratt. Ahead, St. Louis area faith leaders have added additional security in recent years after a series of attacks and houses of worship. The days of you all come on in and the doors are open and anybody and everybody can just walk in isn't safe anymore. Some congregations are allowing guns inside religious spaces. Others have resisted the idea. St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan will have that story in a few minutes. First, the headlines. Missouri's governor is making workforce development a priority for 2020. As St. Louis Public Radio's Jacqueline Driscoll reports, that is one of the takeaways from yesterday's State of the State address from Mike Parson. Much of the speech was a highlight reel from Parsons' time in office. He cited a growth in wages and record low unemployment. He also addressed some of the lows, specifically the spike in gun violence across the state. He pledged support for the Second Amendment, but... We all have to understand the very real issues of violent crime affecting our neighborhoods and the potential consequences of doing nothing. In addition to funding for witness protection programs and mental health resources, he asked to strengthen laws surrounding violent criminals, alluding to his previous support for some so-called red flag laws. Democrats were critical, though. They say the Republican Party continues to stand in the way of any meaningful reform. In Jefferson City, I'm Jacqueline Driscoll, St. Louis Public Radio. We have a bit more on the Democratic response that Jacqueline just touched on. State Auditor Nicole Galloway delivered the party's official reaction. She is challenging Parson in the race for governor. Galloway focused on the drop in Medicaid rolls in a video response to the state of the state. Access to health care is a right, and you shouldn't have to decide, uh, you know, between putting food on the table for your family and getting the health care that you need for you or your kids. Galloway says Parson helped cause more than 100,000 children to lose their coverage since the beginning of 2018. In other news, airport privatization is officially off the table for St. Louis Lambert International. As St. Louis Public Radio's Corinne Ruff reports, members of the St. Louis Board of Estimate and Apportionment have voted unanimously to end the process. Mayor Lida Krusen announced last month her intention to pull the plug on airport privatization. At the time, she cited a lack of support in the business community. Now she says she's in talks with regional leaders and others about what's next. Whatever may come of that, Comptroller Darlene Green says she's glad the current process is over. She's been a vocal opponent. It's a clear victory for the citizens of St. Louis, and now it's time for us to move forward to develop the airport grounds and continue to operate that airport in a a very efficient manner. The city has not yet withdrawn its application with the Federal Aviation Administration, which allowed it to explore privatization. I'm Corinne Ruff, St. Louis Public Radio. A Metro East marijuana dispensary will only sell medical cannabis on Mondays for the rest of the year. The company that operates HCI Alternatives in Collinsville says the decision will allow workers to focus on helping more than 6,000 medical marijuana patients. Also, a second Metro East dispensary has been awarded a recreational marijuana license. 
The green solution in Sage has been approved for what the state defines as an adult-use cannabis license. A company official tells the Belleville News Democrat that a date for recreational marijuana sales in Sage has not been determined. We are about to roll out a new podcast at St. Louis Public Radio, Wake Up to Politics, from Gabe Fleischer. The 18-year-old has been writing a politics newsletter since he was in third grade. It grew to 50,000 subscribers. The first episode of Wake Up to Politics will be released January 24th. That will be on stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Houses of worship are supposed to be sacred spaces. But in the past two years, gunmen have killed dozens of people inside U.S. churches and synagogues. Some faith leaders in St. Louis have strengthened their security measures, even allowing certain congregants to bring guns to services. But as St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan reports, others say guns have no place inside religious spaces. Every Sunday morning, dozens of worshipers gather at Fellowship of Wildwood Baptist Church to sing and pray together. One congregant sits off to the side, in a dark corner. He scans the crowd, his posture alert and his hand on his hip. Tucked away under his clothes is a gun. He's one of about a dozen people in this congregation who are allowed to bring guns to church, says Pastor Ryan Bowman. He calls their volunteer security team the Sheepdog Ministry. Oftentimes the church or the body of Christ is referred to as the the sheep, the flock of Christ. And so there are those that have been entrusted with safety and security to watch out over the flock. Leaders from the Wildwood Church started thinking more seriously about security after a gunman shot and killed a pastor in 2009 at First Baptist Church in Maryville. They hired two St. Louis County police officers to stand guard at a cost of about $20,000 per year. And a few years ago, they took it one step further and decided to allow certain trained congregants to bring guns. Fellowship of Wildwood member Caitlin DeFries isn't bothered by the idea of guns at church. She moved to Missouri from Florida, and she says it was much more common for congregants there to carry weapons. The church that I was in was very much Southerners. Everybody had their guns. Security teams had their guns. The mamas had their guns in their diaper bags. I mean, it was, <laughs> this is not really that culture. For his part, Pastor Bowman says he felt a little uncomfortable with the idea at first, but he says it's important to be prepared for a violent attack. From a very practical level, what would we do? How would we respond? Are we prepared and ready? These are questions that congregations of all faiths are grappling with after recent attacks on religious gatherings across the country. Rabbi Zev Smason says the Tree of Life shooting in Pittsburgh was a real turning point for his congregation in Olivet. We could no longer say that something like that couldn't happen here. Nusak Karib B'nai Zion Synagogue did active shooter training with its members. The congregation also hired armed guards, and they keep their doors locked. The days of you all come on in and the doors are open and anybody and everybody can just walk in isn't, isn't safe anymore. 
Smason says he doesn't have any qualms about guns inside the sanctuary. He says it's a necessary precaution, like having a lock on your front door. But not everyone agrees that guns have a place inside houses of worship. The Archdiocese of St. Louis does not allow weapons of any kind on church property, with an exception for active and retired law enforcement officers. Father Paul Neiman of St. Pius V in South St. Louis says he respects the reasons why other faith leaders have hired armed guards, but he believes the church should be a place of peace. To me, that's more compatible with the message of Jesus than this protective kind of approach, you know, this warfare kind of approach, if you will. He acknowledges it's a balancing act, trying to be safe, but also open and welcoming. We want to be a place where where anybody from anywhere can come and worship with us. We can't do that if your doors are locked, if you've got people standing at the door, you know, checking IDs or something like that. That doesn't communicate the kind of welcome that, that we want to be. At the same time, we do want to be safe. Mufti Asif Umar, who leads the Islamic Foundation of Greater St. Louis, says providing a welcoming environment is important to them, too. But he says keeping the congregation safe is also a priority. They've strengthened their security in recent years, though he declined to give specific details. The reality is that these things are happening, uh, unfortunately, and, you know, you have to always be prepared, right? But no, no matter what, whatever we do in this world, no matter how much security a place has or Whatever it may be, there's always a certain risk out there. Their plans are in place, and the rest, Umar says, they leave in the hands of God. I'm Shayla Farzan, St. Louis Public Radio. Our Maria Altman edited that report. Shula Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. Before we wrap up, there's a big music achievement by a St. Louis area native to pass along. The Doobie Brothers are among this year's inductees into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Michael McDonald is from Ferguson and wrote some of that band's biggest songs. What a Fool Believes won the Grammy for Record of the Year in 1980. McDonald's co-wrote it with Kenny Loggins. The Doobie Brothers will be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on May 2nd. I'm Wayne Pratt, and from the St. Louis Public Radio Newsroom, this has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.